over the coming season, many of us will be exploring the Kellyand to hopefully see one of those bastard forlorn hearts. And Eternal is giving us safe-ish passage. I don't understand it, but it's making the researchers happy. The more of us that go, the more we can find out, and the closer we can get to the heart. What do you say, chap? Do you want to join us with the Spears of the Pines and see what's there? Travid Longest Path, Senator for Thorunin, and when you actually meet said citizen, the expression and voice in which he talks will be dramatically different to that quote. Hello citizens, my name is Ban Shattersong, former captain of the Bloody Hands Mercenary Company, and I am refusing, steadfastly refusing, to impersonate the Senator for Therunin's accent. It's typed out clearly on the, uh, the Winds of War page, and you can read it for yourselves, but I'm not going to slaughter it right here. But, as you might have guessed, this is another Winds of War episode, specifically about the final one in the lead-up to the Winter Solstice in six weeks. Well, either just six full weeks. I'm going to hedge my bets there. So, um, we're very close now. The, the keen for E1 is picking up amongst us in the Black Scar for sure. Some more than others. But uh, this particular thorn is getting rather excited. And what a way to finish off the winds of war with such drama. And I, I don't know how else to describe it. It's, this is a very dramatic wind of war uh, for the Navarre. There's lots of loot on the table for us. There is a dramatic twist at the end. And we're going into places that I or other play, player characters on the field haven't seen ever. So it's a very exciting time to be an Avari Thorn or adventurer, or as we'll find out, a Dornish questing knight. However, I digress. Let's crack on with the Wind of War, one last song. The cauldron sits at the heart of the brock, a golden island in a sea of darkness. Actually, Reaching the fortified steading at the heart of black boughs is no mean feat, even for the Navarre. It lies deep within Brakeliand, and there are no roads to follow. The Valornspawn throng the cursed woods in spite of the winter curse hanging heavy over the territory. For those who don't know, that is Wither the Seed, the one that makes the whole place infertile for 30 years, and is... Uh, a very heavy-handed way of making the Valorn go nap time for a bit. But anyway. The miasma coils between the trees, making every flight and every fight a potential fatal encounter. The challenge of actually reaching the Brock serves, uh, perhaps intentionally, to discourage all but the most committed. In this case, though, the most committed means over 300 Imperial champions and their followers. Every nation, save the Imperial Orcs, is represented. There is even a freeborn hero come all the way from Madruga to explore the far eastern shores of the Empire. Many travel together for safety. Some sneak along shadowed paths avoiding the Valorn spawn, and the steading welcomes them all. The heralds of Rhianos serve them their onion soup 
infused with the rich power of the summer realm. Then, as often as not, they leave the next morning. The influence of the cauldron and the urging of the heralds mean few can resist the siren call of the forest. The dangerous, monster-filled and mystery-haunted woods of Brickelliand. Nothing lasts forever, sadly. The cauldron's power, like all things, must eventually diminish and pass from the world. As autumn lengthens towards winter, the magic begins to fail. A few late stragglers make it to the brock in time to taste the last of its potence, and then it is done. The gold fades, and the cauldron is nothing more than a simple cauldron. After some discussion, the cauldron itself is left in the keeping of the Navarre. It will remain in the brock as a monument to the grand adventure of this year, 384, Year of the Empire. The heralds of Rhianos have no interest in tarrying in the relative safety of the steadying. With their duty to oversee the cauldron done, they are eager to join the heroes exploring the depths of Rakeliand. Into the woods, and the first order of business is to, is to secure Ellerail in the south and Boar's Dell in the north. The number of Druge in Brickelliand has been on the rise ever since their unexpected involvement in the battle against the heirs of Terranel. For those who don't know, this was when the Druge actually fought alongside the Empire at the uh, request of our halogen, uh, Spider Bay, better known as, and um, helped us wipe out the air forces uh, during that event last year. A little bit of a prickly topic since, I mean, nobody wanted that. It's like... I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, it, it's, it's not great. It's not great at all for us. Um, and ever since then, uh, the number of Druze in Brickelliand has been on the rise. Reports suggest that more of them have been sneaking over the borders from the Barons in the months since. It seems to be only a matter of time before they establish a more significant presence. They are adept at avoiding direct encounters and melting back into the woods whenever they meet a questing knight or a Navari scouting band. The Imperial Champions receive additional support in both Borsdell and in Ellerail. The Senator for Thorunin, the noble Travid Longest Path, has reached out to the Great Forest Orcs, who also have an interest in keeping the forces of the Malum from threatening their new home. They soon prove to be effective allies who know the overgrown paths of Frakeliand surprisingly well. After they first fled the barons to avoid enslavement by the Druge, many of them made temporary homes for themselves in Boar's Dell. They clashed from time to time with the Northern Navarre, but rarely seriously. They finally abandoned their settlements here in 377 Year of the Empire, so that's uh, a good while ago now when the Druze were driven from the barons, eager to return from their ancient home under the eaves of Paytat. Their time in Brickelliand gave them some familiarity with the Valorn. That knowledge has only grown in the last few years as they dwelled in Thorunin. Many of them have joined Navari stridings and travelled the Empire, encountering abominations in Hykinia and even the Atherton. 
for the most part, they view the Valorn as an unspeakable corruption. It is a horror that twists the natural power of the forest and creates a mockery of life. Hunters and warriors with keen spears, scouts with sharp eyes, and healers eager to engage with corruption join the Empire's heroes in the quest to explore the Kellyand. They favour the Navarre, understandably, but they are happy to fight alongside any Imperial force, save perhaps the Dornish. The Druge are quickly driven out. Their scattered forces are no match for the Imperial heroes. The Malum Orcs are skilled at avoiding open battle when the numbers do not favour them, and an army, even a Navari army, would have struggled to bring them to battle, strung out as they are. However, that strength becomes a weakness once the Empire is able to deploy large numbers of small military units throughout the area, allowing them to scour the regions clear. Scores of Druge are put to the sword, while the rest flee east towards the Barrens. With the periphery secured, sentry posts are established along the borders. The Watchers will stay vigilant, not only for Orcs for the Malum, but also against any potential expansion of the Vakeliand forlorn. With the threat of the Druze ended, the Navarre and their allies are able to secure the most important routes between the Steadings. They are even able to carve a few paths through the Valorn itself. Slow erosion will eventually close these paths again, but for now, it is possible for small groups to pass safely from Elorail to Boar's Dell, or to seek the sanctuary of the Brock. Though the Druze have been quickly defeated, the green horror that infests Brickeliand is magnitudes more terrible, and it seems almost impossible that it will ever be defeated. The miasma has lurked here for centuries, condemning those who fell here to a macabre existence as husks. Some of these ghoulish threats show clear signs of having once been imperial champions. The scions of ancient Navarre stridings and settings swallowed by the forlorn long ago. Proud Dornish knights who ventured here seeking glory, highborn cataphracts and unconquered whose bodies were corrupted by the miasma. Relics of courageous lives ended by the Valorn, some of them stretching back to the foundations of the Empire and beyond. First, though, is the matter of the heirs of Terranail. These crazed cultists appear to have forged an alliance with the Valorn, or at least found a way to live in unity with it. Many were once Navarre, although they abandoned their oaths and embraced the chaos of the Valorn. Their power was broken when they were defeated in Brickeliand and driven from Hakinia and Thrunin. The last remnants of the secret conspiracy hide in the Aphodon, but their time is done. Perhaps one day they will be a threat once more, but for now they are shattered and scattered. Some remnants of their mad scheme still lie beneath the boughs of the deep woods, however, pushing into the depths of the forest, protected by the vigour of the summer realm. Fragments of their presence are uncovered. A collapsed steading, 
given over to the Valorn, but with signs that people dwelled here until only recently. A glade warded with winter-infused stones, containing the ruins of an encampment, surrounded by murderous briar-spawn husks. And uh, for those of you who don't know, briar husks are much more formidable than non-briar husks. It's, uh, I think I discuss, I've discussed this a few times in previous episodes, but the reason that Navarre distrusts briars is not because of any kind of you know, dislike of barky boy skin. It is, in fact, it is, in fact, that they turn into these giga husks, uh, to give them the totally technical term, and the problems and dangers they pose to people who go into the Valorn, adventuring in there, and also what pops out the other side when that adventure goes to ship. So yeah, Briarspawn husks, um, I think very loosely, you could call them occasionally hulks, for example. Uh, they're not quite ogre-sized, but they can get quite large. Or they can look a bit like the dryad matriarchs that we see, the long spindly fingers and the screaming. It does seem to be entirely at random, and the only thing that is for certain is that the briar lineage inside briars makes them more susceptible to the Valorn, and as a result you get scarier husks. But anyway, even a battlefield in the east of Vale's Lament where Highborn and Air fought each other to mutual destruction, there are still more of these murderous briar-spawned husks. In each location, a handful of clues are gathered, though, a handful of relics that might provide some insight into the Airs and their ultimate goals. Several of these clues point to a hidden steading in the depths of Dark Ranging. As the pieces are brought together, an expedition heads into the deep woods to investigate. There, they find the remnants of a structure infested with husks and partially colonised by etacaps. There is little sign that this is the result of human or orc hands. Rather, the living trees themselves have been woven together into a wooden fastness. An irregular, sprawling mass of trunks and boughs, undergrowth, brambles and less identifiable things. Tunnels and chambers burrow and coil haphazardly within the vegetation. Vines twisted together into ladders connect a maze of cramped passages and unevenly shaped rooms. Here and there, efforts have been made to make the place more inhabitable, but they have rapidly fallen apart under the irresistible fingers of the Valorn Miasma. Exploring the edifice is no mean feat. Powerful husks lie within, and a nest of etacaps have taken over perhaps a third of the structure. As with the insect abominations encountered elsewhere, the Etacaps fight with a particular cunning. They employ much more sophisticated tactics than any other forlorn spawn so far encountered, working together to lay ambushes and lure the unwary into traps. The husks are just as dangerous. Many of them evidence magical abilities beyond the norm for the briar spawned. Um, from my personal combat experience, I have seen some briar spawned husks approach fallen, uh, let's call them mundane husks, and after a few moments of some kind of magical words, revived them and brought them to full healing. It is perhaps maybe this that they saw inside this, uh, inside this edifice. Anyway, the two groups do not cooperate 
except by accident, but they do make the cramped and labyrinth-like confines of the abandoned heirs of Terranale stronghold that much more terrible. Those Imperial heroes venturing into Dark Ranging receive powerful additional support from outside Brakeliand. The Grey Pilgrims of Highguard are committed to the destruction of the Valorn, the most serious spiritual threat to face the Empire to date, and the freedom of those souls trapped in its vegetative web. Highborn priests have consistently supported efforts to fight the Valorn. Now, they send supplies of Lao, healing herbs and potions gathered from their congregations to those fighting in Brakeliand. When news of the heirs of Terranale stronghold spreads, however, they go even further. Lay followers of the way, committed to the virtues, leave their homes and travel north into the deep woods. Many are veterans of the war against the Druge and of recent engagements with the Valorn itself. They offer both spiritual strength and practical military support to the adventurers wherever they can. Together, the adventurers delve the secrets of the air's hidden base. The heralds of Rhianos warn against a dreadful horror that lairs within. They claim it is something not of the Valorn, but similar enough that it might as well be. Of course, the explorers press deeper into the twisted structure and they encounter the first signs of something else. Something different to any forlorn spawn they have previously encountered. Tracks of something large have gouged into the woven walls, floors and ceilings. Echoes of voices shouting or singing or arguing. A thick yellow sap that thrums with spring magic under the fingers of cautious magicians. The source of this odd spore is uncovered at the very heart of the fastness, where a great chamber awaits. Reminding some of a cancerous wooden cyst, the place brims with spring magic. A regio tied to that realm opens here. The first to reach it mistake the creature for part of the structure. That is, until it moves with terrible speed and lethal force. It takes the form of a massive twisted tree, dragging itself along a muscular coiling root that also serves to trap and trip those who get too close. It has a maw set into its trunk, its body, full of splintered wooden teeth. It has dozens of coiling boughs, reaching arms tipped with tearing talons, but the horror of this murderous tree pales into significance when the source of the voices is made clear. Those who were talking were arguing as they echoed through the halls. Bound in the branches are heads, human heads. Some still bear the marks of Navari tattoos on their withered skin. As the abomination moves, they begin a terrible chorus of shouts and screams, yet these are not husks. They appear to still possess intelligence and awareness. They cajole and threaten the Imperial heroes arrayed against them, spouting the slogans of the heirs of Terranale, urging Briars and Navarre alike to abandon the fight and join them 
and immortality. The fight that ensues ranges back and forth through the cramped interior of the air's stronghold. The beast proves surprisingly flexible, sometimes falling horizontal and then dragging itself through the narrow corridors like a dreadful worm. In the end, though, it is overcome. It attempts to flee back to its central chamber, but the courageous heroes are able to stop it, and with axe, spear, and burning brand, they put an end to it. It writhes and screams as it dies, but the heads bound into its branches shriek along with it. And then, it is dead. After the fact, after it is possible to properly examine it, it seems that this is some terrible spawn of Yornagra, the Green Mother, a herald of great power sent by its mistress to support the heirs of Terranel, the true Castellan of their twisted fortress. Indeed, with the herald gone, the structure itself begins to unravel. The trees and the undergrowth that created the structure begin to resume their normal shapes, inasmuch as anything in the Valorn is normal. One final horror is confirmed by the magicians and physicians accompanying the heroes. The heads, the screaming heads, were indeed still alive. The heads of former magicians of the heirs of Terranale willingly bound into the body of the herald. There is whispered speculation that in some way they remained bound together, as well as to the horrible tree thing that was their host. Perhaps a powerful coven of spring magicians, made immortal by Yornagra, but at the most unspeakable price. The wooden stronghold falls apart, and the adventurers make an orderly retreat. The remaining Valorn spawn likewise quit the collapsing fortification, fleeing into the nearby woods. The last remaining fingerhold of the heirs of Terranale, in Brickelliand at least, is excised. Not only has a terrible spawn of Yornagra been destroyed, but valuable lore about the Valorn and its powers has been seized. Yet vastly older, more powerful, and more omnipresent than any legacy of the heirs of Terranel is the Valorn itself. Even if Brickelliand is not quite the largest known, that so-called honour goes to the untouched Visokumo and Axos. It certainly seems to be the most malignant. Right now, smothered in winter magic, it seems almost quiescent. The Valorn spawn are slow to respond to the intrusion of so many questing heroes, but as the seasons turn, they become more and more agitated. And the further the explorers push into the depths of the cursed forests, the more dangerous the abominations become. For some, the myriad ways the Valorn expresses its corruption prove exhausting. Husks, etticaps, twisted beasts, predatory vegetation, abominations that bear no resemblance to anything familiar, the cavalcade of monstrosities seems to have no end. Many Imperial adventurers have only faced husks before. Here, in Brickelliand, 
they are forced to face the truth, that they are the least of the Forlorn's forces. That is not to say they are some minor nuisance. The margins of the Forlorn are choked with former humans and a scattering of orcs who have been entirely overwhelmed by the miasma and remade as something absolutely profane. It is a sobering moment to come face to face to an unnatural husk that was once a courageous thorn or an ambitious questing knight or even a loyal soldier of the empire. The Valorn-spawn husks hold a distorting mirror up to those who dare to push into the twisted forest. But the Navari know that all actions have consequences. The deeper into the forest the heroes travel, the stranger the husks become. Perhaps, as some scholars believe, human and orc husks slowly transform over time into something more baneful. And there can be no doubt that some of these husks are truly ancient. Beneath the bark and the briars, there are husks formed a thousand years ago in the aftermath of Terranale's fall. There are increasing stories of encounters with husks that wield magic to enthuse or to heal their fellow abominations. They turn the forest against interlopers, bending brambles to capture living adventurers or exhaling great gouting clouds that sap strength and vitality. There are also more encounters with the rare forlorn spawn husks and their hulks alongside them. Giant creatures whose blows shatter armour or send grown warriors sprawling. Most assume the husks are the result of ogres falling to the forlorn. Yet there are many more of these things that can be easily explained that way. For the most part though, even the stranger husks are predictable. They wait quiescent in the miasma until they sense the presence of humans or orcs and then attack unrelentingly until they are destroyed or the intruders are overwhelmed. Without this directness, without this headlong rush to silence the beating hearts of the untainted, they would be a much greater threat. And lo, there are plenty of other threats in Brickeliand. Multiple swarms of etacaps nest in the deep woods. Chitinous insect beasts with the proportions of humans or orcs seed and boil despite the withering that holds their territory in its sere embrace. They wield weapons seized from fallen foes, bind scraps of metal or leather to their carapace with vines, and fight together with a cunning that far exceeds that of any natural beast. There is little doubt among those who face them that they are aware of themselves and their enemies. They also possess a uniformity of form not found in true Valorn spawn, no more marked different than between them or any other two humans. Fortunately, they seem no more inclined to wonder than the husks do. Not at the moment. Not with that curse soothing them, whispering of the deep silence of winter and the quiet season. But when a party of adventurers strays into their territory, they close around the trespassers like a bear trap, a noose of living warriors that ruthlessly, implacably, and mercilessly 
fight to destroy those who have violated their invisible borders. It might be a simple matter to simply avoid them, if not for the fact that without fail, they have established winding settlements of wood and earth around the locations the heralds identify as the gardens of abomination. There are half a dozen of these scattered haphazardly around Brachiliant, places that reek of the lawn and out of control spring magic. The Etikaps swarm near them, but do not stray into the actual gardens themselves. Here, the chaotic madness of the Valorn is manifest in every living thing. Everything unique, everything distorted and twisted out of any sane proportion. A fever dream of sickness and life wrapped around each other like murderous snakes biting at each other's necks. Those who penetrate the gardens of abomination do not emerge unchanged. They do not manifest physical transformations like the horrors that lurk there, but rather their nightmares will forever be shaped by the things they have seen there. Monstrous aberrations that defy classification, where flesh and wood seem fluid and interchangeable. Those brave enough to risk these pits of obscenity learn that each one is folded around a powerful spring regio, interpenetrated and absorbed into the fabric of the Valorn. They also return with treasures, fruits of the forest filled with the power of spring. There is talk of sap that provides miraculous healing, of misshapen fruit whose rind grants anyone brave or foolish enough to eat it a burst of unparalleled endurance or fleshy flowers whose juice focuses the perception of spring magic to allow a magician to wield unparalleled power. Assuming, of course, that one is brave or foolish enough to consume them and draw on the Valorn's fragmentary strength locked within. There are no remnants of old Terranale within these places. Anything that might once have marked them out as belonging to the former masters of Brickelliand has long since fallen into utter ruin. Nor are they the only regio in the forest, they are simply the most powerful. It is notable that there are very few regio within the bounds of the Valorn that are not attuned to the magic of spring. A scattered handful at most, primarily aligned with winter. Those explorers who, sign, who find such a place note that the Valorn hangs back from the winter regio. Although its spawn do not bulk at pressing into such spaces in pursuit of trespassers, they offer occasional respite from the relentless horror of the Valorn. There is one other place, deep in the heart of the Valorn, that provides a sanctuary all of its own. On the outskirts of the Valorn heart, less than half a day's march from the ruins of the city, is a grove of ancient weirwood trees. The heralds of Rhianos know of it and its rough location, but actually reaching it requires the concerted effort of dozens of champions. The Valorn holds the grove in a jealous embrace, hundreds of husks themselves among some of the oldest ever encountered in Brickelliand, throng in the forest around it. The approach is guarded by several dreadful and unique abominations, 
A river beast whose heads open up like tooth-lined orchids. An ape-like behemoth with four arms and one eye and venom-tipped spurs on its hands and feet. And a serpent with hundreds of raking taloned legs and an almost incomprehensible creature. Not quite a translucent cat and not quite a shimmering crab. Together, the heroes of the Empire are able to defeat or drive off these guardians and press through to the Weirwood Grove, where they discover peace. The trees are untouched, the land between them pristine. There is no miasma here. The air is pure and fresh, albeit tinged with the cold hand of the coming winter. The spawn of the Valorn press around the edges, but they do not venture among the trees. Something similar was encountered in Leafathan when the Westwood was cleansed of the Valorn presence. Uh, this was years ago, the aid of Sarut. Living weirward, it seems, is like corruption to the Valorn. It provides a safe location for heroes to camp, as long as they do not become too complacent. There are signs that the Imperial heroes are not the first people to find this grove, merely the first people in a very long time. The remains of old structures are unearthed beneath centuries of leaf mould. There is little time to explore them in detail, but it seems that there were half a dozen weirwood buildings here a long time ago. Rusted pieces of iron and a few scraps of tarnished bronze are all that remain of whoever built them. Or, almost all, the first adventurers to fight their way through to the sanctum in the Valorn find one other remnant of the last people to camp here, a squat stone monolith, carved with angular designs standing alone in the middle of the grove, a singing stone. The last singing stone, protected from the years and the malice of the Valorn by the voices of the trees, as the heralds of Rhianos have it. There's no way to be sure how long it has waited here, or where it came from. Many of the Navarre heroes who visit the grove have seen something similar. But that stone is lost to them now. The Vates confirm that it has similar powers, and against all the odds, those powers still remain active. A true artifact of lost Terranail. There is little argument when the Navari claim it. Discussions begin as to the best way to transport the heavy stone out of Rakeliand. A challenging task, those who undertake it are likely to be fighting for lawn spawn every inch of the way. The remaining heroes who have found the Sanctuary Grove, as uh, one highborn dubs it, begin to plan the final leg of their exploration. A base camp is established among the trees, and the approach to ancient Terranail itself begins. All that remains are the broken walls of Terranail. Ruptured by the Valorn as it rose and spread, they were no doubt splendid once, an impenetrable ring of white granite girding the heart of the Terranail Empire. Back in their day, when they were whole, 
they would easily have been equal to the walls of modern Temeshwar. Now, they are just a boundary marker, more overgrown rubble than wall. Beyond them, Terranail itself, the city after which the entire empire was named, first and greatest of the seven cities, the exemplar after which Hycenian and Embris, Biantan, Dol, Diaphodon, Seren and Kavan were modelled. For the heroes of the League or Highguard who have made it this far, it is perhaps a little sobering to think of Terranail as a city. To see in its destruction an echo of Sarvos or Tamashwar or, or Bastion, to see the utter ruin that it has become, transformed by the Valorn and the hubris of its masters. Echoes of its former splendour are all that remains. This is the heart of the Valorn, and there is no peace here. Massive Valorn warped trees thrust up through what once were wide avenues paved with stone. Many of the buildings are gone. Every remaining structure is wrapped in greenery, smothered in ivy and bramble and less identifiable vegetation. There is no river, but everywhere are pools and wells connecting to cisterns under the fallen city, fed perhaps by some deep aquifer far beneath the ground. Sadly, the waters are as infested with the Valorn as anything else, choked with plants and home to some truly horribly hungry beasts. A delicate task, the exploration of Terranel, and one made possible only by the power of the Golden Cauldron. Without it, the miasma would likely overwhelm all save the strongest. It is thicker here than anywhere else in Brickeliand, visible as a thick green fog that settles and pools amongst the trees and the ruins, as often as not hiding ancient briarborn husks, or worse. The Valorn spawn here partake of the strength of the Valorn heart itself. They prove extremely difficult to defeat. Given even a few moments' respite, they recover from all save the most terrible blows. Regenerate severed limbs and return stronger than before to destroy the trespassers. There is no hope of a direct assault. Those who have come this far must move more carefully and with purpose, avoiding the beasts of the ruined city and fleeing if they attract attention. Yet there are wonders here still. The Terranail knew how to build. How else would so many of the city's buildings, or at least a few that have survived, survived a millennium under the weight of the Valorn? There is plenty of evidence of white granite here, and mithril, and even weirwood. The aesthetic is not always pleasing to modern eyes. The Terranail architects and engineers preferred straight lines and squared corners, to a degree that sometimes proves unsettling, even beyond the living horrors of the city. Streets and avenues are arrow-straight. Columns are square rather than cylindrical. And there are a few signs of public statuary, but much less than would be expected to find across a city of Highgard or the League. It is hard to believe that when Terranel was alive, it was in any way beautiful. These buildings had purpose, uh, undoubtedly, 
but sometimes it is hard to tell what that was. For every obvious bathhouse or marketplace, there is a structure like the partially collapsed step pyramid covered in intricate angular designs. It's in a chamber open to the sky and found a short distance from the eastern walls. What was it for? It would be easy to guess that it had some ritual significance, but nothing about the building hints at what they might have been. There's one structure that attracts particular attention when it is found, especially amongst the heroes of Wintermark who have come this far. It lies right at the periphery of the western side of the city, where it is one of the few that have survived the Valorne's crushing weight. The squat building of white granite with the fallen-in roof proves to stand over several underground cellars or galleries that have become home to a particularly vicious breed of venomous etacap. The beasts, however, are not important. What is important is that the interior walls of this structure are marked with familiar runes. Wintermark runes. Several of the heroes who explore here are struck by how eerily reminiscent of the Runeforge beneath far-off Scarsind it is. Beneath the omnipresent foliage are the scattered remains of what once might have been a Runeforge. And again, those broken remnants put the explorers in mind of the ruins of Gildenheim Runeforge. What is a building that seems patterned after a lost subterranean forge that many speculated was built by the mythical trolls, doing here in the heart of Terranel. A mystery, and any hope of solving it will need to wait. The season is growing late. The protection of the Golden Cauldron is beginning to falter. And there is one more thing to be done. Winter is nearly here, and with it, the magical vitality of the Golden Cauldron begins to wane. There is one final chance to push on, to penetrate the greatest of Terranel's mysteries, the Valorn Heart itself. From their makeshift camp at the Sanctuary Grove, a number of courageous explorers plan their approach to the centre of the city. To the immense trees that form the heart of the Valorn, where the miasma is at its heaviest, where the Valorn spawn are thickest. Not to harm it, as it is beyond the harm of a handful of heroes, as a mammoth is beyond harm for the mountain hare, but to see, to gaze upon the wellspring of the Valorn, of the fountainhead of Terranale's folly, on the place where the Navarre arguably began. No living brand, thorn or bait has ever looked on the Valorn heart, and I assume here that includes the brokers as, as well, unless they're in on something that the rest of us are not, but anyway. <clears throat> here, now, at the heart of the largest Valorn in the Empire, there is a chance, for some at least, to gaze upon the face of their enemy for the first time since the destruction of Miaren. But what they see there or what they saw there, is not for me to tell. Let them speak themselves if they wish, for now my story of heroes and horrors is done. Brickelliand, 
or Terranail, continues to slumber, but its sleep is restless. Without the blanket of winter magic, the great adventure would have been impossible, even with the courage of imperial citizens and the power of the Golden Court. And let's not forget the unfathomable whims of the Eternals. The last heralds of Rhianos fade away as the winter solstice gathers momentum. It is time for the explorers to withdraw from Bekeliand to think about what they have learned, to weigh the treasures they have carried out of the accursed forest, and to wonder if the price was worth the prize. Now, dear listeners, I'm aware this episode is, well, okay, 44 minutes, but that's not, um, not the longest I've done, but my goodness, that was a long wind of war. And I have a lot of opinions about it, and I'm sure a lot of you too, well, a lot of you do too as well. God, that was a dreadful sentence. Anyway, uh, there's actually a few more sections to read out uh, around, around this wind of war, uh, but I'm going to do those in a separate episode because each of them are spicy, and I want to see if I can pull on some members of Black Scar to, uh, to discuss it. So in the meantime, chomp down on that. Uh, a brief TLDR is that we have gone in to Pekeliand, smacked up the local Druge, smacked up the heirs of Terranail, and we've had a snapshot of the Vlorn Heart itself. Those who come back will see, or well, have seen something dreadful. They might have some spicy fruit in their pocket from the Gardens of Abomination. Or they might have a nice calming story from the Weirwood Grove that they stayed in. But until then, dear citizens, keep your blades close. And if you go down to the woods today, take a portion of onion soup away. <laughs> <laughs>